Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Welcome to a special edition of Torah Studies. This is a Shavuot edition. If you read the email, it was me pulling a quick one on you, because it's not about the haircut, it's not about Nusso, that, that's going to be next week. So you'll see the same email next week. This week is about Shavuot, and the reason why is because uh, this week we don't read the regular Torah portion in synagogue on Shabbat because it's the holiday of Shavuot. So we have a special reading that is uh, pertaining to the special holiday. So therefore, in the spirit of the energy of Shabbos and the week and the holiday, we're going to study about Shavuot. The title of the class, wonderful title, um, for those of you sitting over here, Get a clear view of the screen. The Rabbi and the Heretic, a dialogue of Torah's timeless messages. As the, as the uh, title indicates, I, um, uh, the, the, the class is about a dispute, a dialogue between a rabbi and a heretic. No, it's not the beginning of a joke. <laughs> you said, right? <laughs> so a rabbi and a heretic uh, have a debate. No. But it, it holds the key to understanding a lot about what Shavuot means for us and what Judaism says about life itself. Pretty cool stuff. You're going to like it. One of the primary um, ideas, concepts, uh, philosophies of Judaism is that we exist in a relationship with God. In other words, it's not like God creates the world, like Aristotle would say, that there's a higher power, a prime mover, some original force, and then once the world or things are in place, then God steps back from creation and allows the world to run on its own. It's sort of like the hands-off CEO God model. That's not how, that Judaism says that's not how it works. God is involved in creation, but more than that, God wants to have a relationship with us, which means that we are partners in creation. God created the world, and He didn't finish it, in a sense. And it's our job to finish it. It's like you build a house, you leave a little bit undone. You paint the room, you leave a little bit corner, a little corner that's not yet finished, not yet painted. And the understanding is that man, the human being, each of us, comes along and we fix that, we finish the construction, we finish the painting, and we become partners in creation. This is the theme of tonight's class. But yet we have a question. Because what is the moment that brings our nation together, gives us our mandate? It was the giving of the Torah at Sinai 3,321 years ago, which is what we celebrate Tomorrow night with the festival of Shavuot. It begins tomorrow night. At the time of the giving of the Torah, it seems that the relationship worked in a, uni, a unidirectional fashion. God gave us the Torah. In the Hebrew, it's called Matan Torah. The giving Shavuot is the day of Matan Torah, the day that the Torah was given. When you talk about the giving of the Torah, what does that imply? Somebody gave it, and someone took it. So how many people are doing actions? Well, not people, sorry, not people. How many parties are, are actively involved? Action. 
No, one party is passively receiving. Okay, but not, you could actively, but it doesn't, it's not indicative in the name Matan Torah. Matan Torah means God gave us the Torah, which means that we stood there, we were blown away by the revelation, God spoke the Ten Commandments, at every commandment the soul left the body and God had to put it back together again. That's what it says. There was, uh, uh, the soul actually left the body and there was Tchiat uh, Mesim, the resurrection of the... That's the original uh, not your socks off uh, experience. I understand why they finally said that. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. But but the so it seems like the Sinai experience then was pretty much God speaking to us and us listening. Not that it works in a very uh, uh, dual directional method. In other words, it seems like Judaism always teaches that we are partners with God. God gives and we take and we give and God takes whatever that means. We're going to explain tonight what that means. But that there's a relationship. Whereas when it comes to the giving of the Torah, which is really the the moment that we become a nation, or at least we're given the mandate of what it means to be a nation, at that point it seems like it's coming from one direction, that we're not giving, we're just receiving. So that's the issue that we're going to address tonight. Now, we begin with the dialogue. Between the rabbi and the heretic. Let's read the dialogue. This is great. Um, To understand the dialogue, let me first introduce a term that the Talmud uses. The term is, and this is on page 10. Okay? Yeah, we're not using it. Bait and switch. Yeah. That was my... (laughs) Okay. Um, The term is baitusin. This is, an error, this is a term that the Talmud uses, baitusin. And it means, as you'll see, the second word in the translation is baitusim, or bothusians. Anybody know who the bothusians were? No. <laughs> bothusians. You might not, huh? Yeah, exactly. They're playing at the Little Five uh, over the weekend. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's a chicken with a light duck sauce. Okay, but so what are who are the Baitusin? They didn't want to give credit to the Torah. Yes, very good. There were several groups: the Karaites. He he's got it. There were several groups. Fred, you're giving the class next week. There were several groups that did not believe or did not give any credence to. The oral law, the oral tradition, the Talmud, the Mishnah. They said, we look at the Torah, at the Torah Shabbat Peh, at the written, at the five books, and that's it. So, where it says in the Torah that uh, on Shabbos, you're not supposed to have a light. On Shabbos, lo there should not be light in your dwelling places. So, the Talmud says, or the oral tradition is passed on from Moses, that what it means is you can't kindle fire on Shabbos. You can't create light. And they said, no, it means you have to sit in the dark for 25 hours. No lights. Not even, huh? And eat cold food. You can't have anything. Not even light that was on before Shabbos can remain on Shabbos. It's got to be dark. No fires on, no heating food, no seeing, dark. We know that Torah law, based on the Torah law, mandates that you do light Shabbos candles before Shabbos, precisely for the reason that you shouldn't walk around Friday night and bump into things. That's one of the reasons. But I thought they, they were just for beauty, not for any practical use. What? The candles. 
No, no. According to the code of Jewish law, we light candles in order to have in order to have a peaceful Shabbos. You have to be able to see where you're going. You have to be able to. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. It's also there's spiritual reasons, kabbalistic reasons, but that's a practical reason. Anyway, but that's that's a little off the subject. The point is that these both the Bothusians or Baitusin were individuals that did not believe in any oral tradition. They said, we don't believe that Moses passed down to him, who passed down to him, who passed down to this generation, that generation, that we have interpretations and explanations that come back uh, originally from God at Sinai, you know, through the generations. We don't believe in any of that. We look at the text and we can interpret it as we wish. That's it. Here we have a debate regarding when the festival of Shavuot is to occur. Between the Baitusin and the sages. The story, the dialogue, the debate is between a specific sage whose name is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. He passed away in the year 90 of the Common Era. So this is going back a few thousand years. So he lived in the first century. And the Baitusim are challenging Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai as far as when the holiday of Shavuot should occur. Okay, so let's read this. Craig, will you start us out, please? Text 1, page 10. Okay. The Baitusim, the Thosians, held that the Shavuot holiday must always be on the day after Shabbat. What is that day? Sunday. Right, they said Shavuot always needs to occur on a Sunday. Okay, why? We'll see why. Rabbi Yakon ben Zakkai challenged them saying, Fools, where do you know this from? He says, Shaitim! Fools, where do you know this from? Not one of them was able to answer him, except one old man who began to chatter and said, Moses, our teacher, was a great lover of Israel, and knowing full well that Shavu would last only one day, he established that it should always be on the day after Shabbat, so that the Jewish people could enjoy themselves for two consecutive days. There you go. Okay. Rabbi Yakunas. They quoted to him the following verse. It is an 11-day journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by way of Mount Seir. And if Moshe Rabbeinu was indeed a great lover of Israel, what then did he delay them in the wilderness for 40 years? Now, I understand his question. He says, you're telling me that Moses was such a lover of Israel that he established, right, that the Shavuot holiday should be Sunday, so that you have Shabbos and Shavuot. It's beautiful. It's ah, two days of... of off from work. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, oh wait a second, from Mount, from Horeb, Horeb, does anybody know where, what Horeb is? That's Sinai, that's Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. Until Kadesh Barnea, until the, the edge, the border of Eretz Yisrael of Israel, it's only 11 days. It would have taken them from Sinai, from Sinai, to Israel, 11 days. And how long did it take them? 40 years. 40 years. So if Moses really loved them, you're telling me that Moses blessed you, that Moses loves the people, and he wants to give them a two-day holiday. So if he loved them, how come he didn't take them right away? Okay, but if he loved them, he would have figured it out. Exactly. So continue, the Baitusi retorted. He did take them right away, I thought. It was the sin of the spies that delayed the... Right, so that's what you... Yeah, okay, but, but if he's a d- dedicated leader and he loves his people, he should forge on anyway. Theoretically, theoretically. What you after you get in? Exactly. <laughs> I retorted, Master, it is with this that you will dismiss me. Fool answered the rabbi, you, should not our perfect Torah be so be as convincing as your idle talk? 
One verse says you shall count 50 days, while the other verse says you shall have seven complete weeks. How are they reconciled? Is it meant to be seven full weeks from Sunday until Shabbos, or 50 days, regardless of when in the week it will start and end? You understand the question there? In other words, uh, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai says, look, there's two verses in the Torah that speak about the timing of Shavuot. One says it is uh, 50 days after uh, Passover. You count 49 days, the 50th day, boom. The other verse says, you shall count seven complete weeks. Count seven full weeks, and the day, the next day is Shavuot. So he says, so which is it? How can they be reconciled? Because if you count 50 days, it means that whenever Passover is, you're counting 49 days, and the next day is Shavuot. Whereas seven full weeks implies a full week begins from the beginning of the week to the end of the week. So Sunday, the first day of the week, till Shabbos. Sunday to Shabbos, seven times Sunday to Shabbos. And then, the, and then that's seven weeks. And then the next day, Sunday, is Shavuot. So how do you reconcile the two verses? So he answers. The latter verse... Okay, the latter verse refers to the time when the first day of Passover falls on Shabbat, while the former verse refers to a year when the first day of Passover falls on a weekday. Okay, so that's a simple answer. As Rabbi Yochanan ben Zake is explaining to this Baitusi why he is incorrect. It has nothing to do with Moses establishing that the holiday of Shavuot should always be on a Sunday because that's better for the people. It's irrelevant. There's two verses in the Torah. One says count 50 days, and one says seven complete weeks. So he says like this, on, in a year when Passover falls out on Shabbat, so then you count seven complete weeks because you start counting from the second day of Passover, which is going to be on a Sunday. That's day one of the count. You count seven weeks from Sunday to Shabbos, Sunday to Shabbos, Sunday to Shabbos, seven times. And then the 50th day or after seven weeks, the Sunday is Shavuot. But that's only in a year when Passover falls out on Shabbos. Every other year, you just count 50 days. The 50th day is Shavuot. Whether it's a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if it's the middle of the week, it's fine. That's, what he, that's how he explains the verses. So basically, Basically, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakeh dismisses the theory of the Baitusim that Shavuot always has to occur on a Sunday. We're going to ask a few questions. First of all, why does Rabbi Yochanan and Zakeh mock Moses' love of the Jewish people? Here you have a Baitusi saying, Moses loves his people, he would establish the holiday in a convenient time. And Rabbi Yochanan and Zakeh, the rabbi, says, ah! Moses, he really loved the people. If he really loved them, he would have taken them right away, right away to, uh, to Israel. So here you have the Baitusi, the non-believer in the Oral Torah, who's saying that Moses loves the people. And the rabbi, the traditional rabbi, who's saying, nah, Moses doesn't really love the people. It doesn't make sense. Why is he being cynical about Moses' love of the people? Right? Explain. Leave the love out of it. Okay, true. But here you have a guy saying Moses loves the people, so he's helping us out by giving us the holiday right after Shabbat so we can sort of uh, segue into it. And he says, well, if Moses really loved us, he would have taken us straight into Israel, not, not uh, have us wander around for four years. No, that's what Rabbi Yochanan Zakai's answer is that to the heretic, it's not like to the to the Baitusi, that it's not that if Moses decided he would have taken us in right away. But it's obviously not his decision, so he wouldn't have been able to establish Shavuot on a Sunday either. Okay, fine, good. 
So we'll leave that question. Second question that, we, that I want to ask is why is the date of Shavuot, why is the day of the holiday so ambiguous that it's open to this uh, debate between the heretic and the rabbi? You can follow it on different days, but why don't we know when it is? Why is it open to discussion? Is it a Sunday? Is it a weekday? You know the Baitusi, we didn't quote it here, but the Baitusi quotes a verse. They have, they have another proof, because it says, You should start counting the Omer from the day following Shabbos. That should be day number one. So if you count 49 days, day 50 is also going to be on a Sunday. That's what they quote. So the Talmud interprets, our sages interpret that the day following Shabbos, Shabbos is a reference here in this verse to Passover. Because Shabbos is a holiday, it's a holiday, in general it means a holiday, so in this case it means a holiday. But why is it ambiguous? Why does the Torah not specify exactly when it is in a way that is not open to discussion? So the question is, how is it possible that the date of the most fundamental event in all of Jewish history, which is the revelation at Sinai, the giving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments, etc., um, the giving of the Torah is subject to debate. Why is it even open to debate? Why isn't it specified in the Torah when exactly the holiday is that it shouldn't be open for discussion? There are no debates about Passover. It's the 15th day of Nisan. That's what the Torah says. Yeah. Well, getting a clue from what you said, it seems like it's kind of one way. Yeah. But maybe this means we have to fix ourselves in. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. You're on the ball. Okay. Not only is Shavuot, the date of Shavuot, subject to a debate between a heretic and a rabbi, but it's also the subject of a debate amongst the sages themselves. Amy. Text. Two. I have a copy if you if you need one. If you want your own. Sure. The rabbis taught on the sixth day of the month of Saban, the Ten Commandments were given to the Jews. Rabbi Yossi says it was on the seventh of Saban. Rabbi explains, everyone agrees that the Jews arrived in the Sinai Desert on the first of the month. Additionally, everyone agrees that the Torah was given to the Jews on Shabbat. They are only arguing... And what day of the week the new month began? Rabbi Yossi holds it was Sunday, and the rabbis hold it was Monday. Okay. This is how, what the, the Talmud, okay, so the Talmud here cites a debate between the rabbis, which means the majority of sages and scholars, and Rabbi Yossi, who was a single opinion. The rabbis taught that the Torah was given on the sixth day of the Hebrew month of Sivan. Anybody know what today's date is? Oh, the Hebrew date. The 4th of Sivan. So Rabbi, the, the rabbi is taught on the 6th of Sivan, which would be Friday. The Torah was given at Sinai. And that's the day we celebrate Shavuot. Rabbi Yossi says, no, 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 it was the 7th day of Sivan. So Rava explains, what is the nature, what is the source of their debate? It all has to do about when, what day of the week um, was the first day of the month of Sivan in that year when the Torah was given. Because everyone agrees that the Torah was given on a Shabbos. Okay? The only question is, um, and everyone agrees that the Jews arrived in the Sunday desert on the first of the month. So the only question is, when did the new month begin? So we take a look at this chart. Oh, it's not here. Uh, uh, okay. So let's look at the chart. It's in, it's, in the, uh, it's in the handout. Or it's in the book. Page 11 on the bottom, right there. Chart 1. You see the rabbis maintain that day 1 of the month of Sivan 
was on a Monday. And that's the day they arrived in the Sinai Desert. Day two, day three, day four, day five, and then day six is Shabbos, and that's when the Torah was given. We know that the Torah was given on a Shabbos. According to the rabbis, they arrived the first day of the month was a Monday. So that means Shabbos is six days later, so the Torah was given on the sixth day of the month. Whereas Rabbi Yossi says, no, they arrived at the Sinai Desert on Sunday, and Sunday was the first day of the month. Okay, and you go till Shabbos, that's seven days. So he's, Rabbi Yossi says the Torah was given on the seventh day of the month of Sivan. So we have two different opinions. Why can't we get it straight? Why don't we know when the Torah was given? Was it on the sixth day of Sivan? Was it on the seventh day of Sivan? Why is it complicated? Every other holiday is clear. Rosh Hashanah, we know, is the first day of Tishrei. Yom Kippur is the tenth day of Tishrei. Sukkot is the 15th day of Tishrei. Passover, Pesach is the 15th day of Nisan. Shavuot is ambiguous. Is it the 6th? Is it the 7th? We don't know. Is it a Sunday? All of this confusion regarding Shavuot. And so we can ask the question, why doesn't the Torah specify the date of Shavuot like it does for all other holidays? Right? There's some other ones. Passover, Sukkot, Shavuot, big question mark. Okay. Moreover, the Talmud says that Shavuot actually can occur on any one of three dates. The 5th of Sivan, the 6th of Sivan, and the 7th day of Sivan. Lisa, please read text 3 on page 12. In the time when we would establish the new month based on the sighting of the new moon, Shavuot fall out of the 5th of Sivan, sometimes on the 6th and sometimes on the 7th. You would have a holiday, Shavuot, which could occur on the 5th of Sivan, the 6th of Sivan, or the 7th of Sivan. Does the Jewish calendar work with the moons? Yes. Yes. The months work with the moon. Not the years. The years work with a combination. The months, yeah. That's actually going to be the key to this explanation. We'll get to it in a second. But, but understand what the Talmud is saying. The Talmud is saying, in the times of the Temple, Shavuot could be observed on the 5th, 6th, or 7th of Sivan. Why doesn't it have a specific date? That's question number one. Why doesn't, have a, why doesn't it have a specific date, a calendar date, like every other holiday? Not only every other holiday, every date we know when it happened. We know when Moses was born. We know when Moses passed away. We know when certain big events happened. It was passed down with, with a tradition. But when it comes to Shavuot, it could be any number of days. We're not sure. Why is it based on the position of the moon? That's why they did it. That's why they did it. It gives us more concrete than that. Fifth, sixth, or seventh of Sivan. How is it possible? First of all, why is it able to slide across three days? But also, how does it make sense that it could be any one of those three dates? That's what we're going to talk about right now. To understand how it can work out like that, not the why, but how, we need to um, understand how the lunar calendar works. This is going to be the key to understanding this point. The Hebrew calendar is based on the lunar calendar? Yes. Yes. Which is less than, it's not complete days. Okay, so hold on. This is what we're going to read now in Maimonides. Okay? This, this is text 4. Okay, Drew, please read text 4. The Jewish calendar is based on lunar cycles. 
Towards the beginning of the moon's cycle, it appears as a thin crescent. That is the signal for a new Jewish month. The moon grows until it is full, the middle of the month, and then it begins to wane until it cannot be seen. It remains invisible for approximately two days, and then the thin crescent reappears and the cycle begins again. The entire cycle takes approximately 29 and a half days. Since a month needs to consist of complete days, a month is sometimes 29 days long. Such a month is known as a pacer, missing, and sometimes 30 full. Okay. Make sense what he says? Uh, how, when does the Jewish month begin? I'm asking you the question. When the moon first appears in the sky after its disappearance. It was on the milk bottle, in the milk carton. Have you seen this moon? No, the moon reappears as a thin crescent. And the moon reappears as a thin crescent. At that point, Rosh Chodesh, first day of the month. And the moon gets bigger and bigger. It doesn't actually get bigger, but you see more of the moon, right? And until the 15th of the month, when you have... Well, <laughs> When I was a kid. Until the 15th day of the month, when you have the full moon. And then the moon begins to appear smaller and smaller, or get smaller and smaller, until it disappears. And that's the, toward the end of the month. And then it reappears again. So the cycle, from the appearance of the crescent, the first sliver of moon, until the next time you'll see that first sliver of moon, after it's waxed and waned, or waned and waxed, whatever you call it, right? Waxed and waned. How long does that take, the cycle? 29 and a half days. 29.5. Says Maimonides, you can't make a half... You, you, we don't do half days in a month. You can't say a month is 29 and a half days. So when you woke up in the morning, it was still the previous month, and now like by uh, like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, boom, you're in the next month already. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, well, look at that. Amazing. Wow, what... <laughs> Pretty cool. Based on that. Oh, hold on one, wait, wait, one second. So how does it work? So he says, since it's 29 and a half days, so some months are 29 days and some months are 30, and the av- it averages out. Yes? Based on that, does Judaism put any credence on like new moons or new beginnings and full moons or culminations? Of oh, completely. This is the bread and butter. Yeah. This is... <laughs> I've given a class on the Kabbalah of astrology. Absolutely. I didn't know. No, I didn't do. I did it for a Hadassah event uh, locally. Hadassah, you know the woman? They asked me to give a class on astrology, so I. We'll put it. We'll put it on the. All right, Amir Tzeshem, please God, we'll put it on the schedule. Okay, but let's get back to this. So the moon, the cycle, the monthly cycle of the moon takes twenty nine point five days, twenty nine and a half days. Some months have twenty nine days. That's called a chaser, a missing month, a month that's lacking, that's missing a day. And then you have a thirty day month, which is called a male, a full month. Okay. Knowing when the month begins is critical. Why? Exactly. In order to know when the when Passover is, when to make the seder on the night of the fifteenth, you need to know when the first is. 
How do you know when the first is? How do I know when the first day of the month is? And don't tell me open up a Jewish calendar. Okay, open up a Jewish calendar. Two people, two sightings. So this is how it worked. This is how it worked. Back in the day before calendars, not because they weren't smart enough to figure out the calendar, but because there was a mitzvah to establish the months, not based on calculations, but based on visual confirmation and identification. It was done by re'iyah, by sight. That's how the new month, the new moon was determined. And it's all based on text 5, on the verse. Rebecca, can you please read text 5? Hashem spoke to Moshe and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the head of the month. It says, this, month, this is the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, of creating this whole, the, the lunar calendar. This month shall be to you the head of the month. So our sages say, what does it mean? This month should be to you or for you. It means that the months are based on your determination. It was given over to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish high court, to determine when the, the new month begins. So the way it would work is like this. The month, forget how the month began. Let's, let's look at the end of the month to see how the next month begins. Okay? So we find ourselves on the 30th day of the month. Let's say, let's say today is the 30th day of any month. The Sanhedrin, the high court, will be open for business. Open for business. Awaiting testimony from witnesses as to if they had seen the moon the night before. So people on the night between the 29th and 30th, they would be stargazing to see if they would see the new moon. Okay? If they saw a moon, they would come to court the next day, the 30th. They would testify. The Sanhedrin, the high court, would cross-examine them. And if they determined that what they saw was indeed the new moon, they would say, it's Rosh Chodesh today. It's not the 30th anymore. It's the first. You see? Why? Because the new moon was already sighted. So again, on on the 30th day of the month, the court would be open for testimony if two witnesses, two kosher witnesses came and said, we saw the moon and their story checks out, then the court declares that today is the first day of the new month. It's no longer the 30th day of the month, it's the first day of the next month. Why? Because the new moon was already seen the night before and we know that the Jewish days start at night, so there's already a new moon and it, it checks out. Happy Rosh Chodesh, it's, it's day one of the next month. If no one comes to court that day, or if no one's story checks out, so then it remains the 30th day of the month, and the next day becomes, 31st day becomes the first day of the next month automatically. That's how they had days, months that were 29 days, and months of 30 days, depending on when the, uh, the testimony would come. Does that make sense so far? A little bit? What question, sir? When was it completely dark? On the 28th? Yeah. The, side, the 29 and a half day cycle is between crescent to crescent. Not from crescent to disappearing. There's another two days that are built into that. So yeah, day 27 and 28, or 28 and 29, it was dark. And then on the night of the 30th, there was a possibility for the new moon to appear. If it did, then day 30 automatically became day 1 of the next month. That means that the previous month only had 29 days. Chaser. If no one saw the moon on the night of the 29th, of the night of the 30th, 
then automatically, they wouldn't even have to take any more testimony, automatically that would remain in the books as day 30, and the next day would be called day 1 of the next month. They didn't base it on the calculations. They didn't, base, they didn't create a calendar. This was how the months were determined. By sight, by visual identification and confirmation, and a declaration of proclamation in court. Then they created, yeah, and then they sent bonfires. That's why they stopped, that's part of the reason why they stopped the system. Okay? So here we have it. Okay? This month shall be for you, the head of the month. That means that you need to take an active role in determining the months. You, people, us. Eyewitness testimony. The lunar cycle is 29 and a half days. Okay? So when is Rosh Chodesh? So this is what I explained, this is what we're talking about right now. So let's do, let's do it like this. Okay? So we have. Like that. 27, 28, 29. Okay? So, is, the, is it a chaser? In other words, is it day one of the next month? Or is it a mali? And then day one is here. So, it depends. So, if you see the moon... <gasps> ah, wait. Feel it again? Hey. There we go. Okay, so if they saw the moon, now again, it's the, they didn't see the moon really Wednesday. They saw Tuesday night, which already begins Wednesday in the Jewish calendar, right? Because the day begins at night. So if they saw Tuesday night going into Wednesday, then that day becomes consecrated as Rosh Chodesh, as day one, and then it continues. If, however, if, however, they didn't see a moon on, on this day, then that day remains the 30th, and automatically... Day, the, the, for Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the next month begins there. Okay? This is called a chaser, an incomplete month because it only has 29 days. This is called a mali because it has 30 days. It's all about when the moon appeared. I don't know why there's, there should be a moon over here. Although, again, you don't have to see the moon. If you saw the moon... The, huh? It's behind. Okay. Um, fine. Based on this, we can understand how it is that Shavuot can fall out on the 5th the 6th or the 7th of Sivan. <sighs> Buckle up. Okay. Let's, let's do this now. Passover is in the Hebrew month of Nisan. The next Hebrew month is Er. The next Hebrew month is Sivan. Nisan, Er, Sivan. How many days are in the month of Nisan? 29 or 30? Based on what we just learned. Depends. Thank you. Depends, right? Is it 29 or 30 days? It depends on when they saw the month of Iyar. When they saw the, the new moon of Iyar, right? They could have seen it here, or they could have seen it here. Right? Okay. How many days are in the month of Iyar? It depends on when they saw the moon. So both months, both months could be 30 days. Both months could be 29 days. One could be 30 and one could be 29. This will produce different numbers. Let's, let's go through the calculations. Passover is on which day of, of Nisan? 15. When do you begin counting? From the, from the day after. Which is day number? Day number 16. 16th, of, 16th day of Nisan, you begin counting. If there are 30 days in Nisan, how many days have you counted in the month of Nisan? No. 15. Because 16... You could do it... I, 
find the fingers work uh, especially well. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. 15. So that's if Nisan has 30 days. You've counted 15 in Nisan. The next month, ER, if it also has 30 days. So how many have, and I count all 30 days. How many have I counted total? 45. 45. So what day of the, and, and Shavuot is on the 50th day. So what day of the month in ER is, is Sivan, is it? Fifth, right? Because I counted 15 in Nisan, 30 in ER, and 5 in Sivan. So the 50th Sivan is Shavuot. That's if each month, if Nisan and ER both have 30 days. If they both have 29 days, how many days am I counting in, in Nisan? 14 days. 14. And there's 29 in ER, how many, how many do I have now? 14 plus 29 is? 43. What day will Shavuot be? Day 7. 7th of, of, of Sivan. And if one has 30 and one has 29? The 6th of Sivan. So depending. Because Shavuot is not... Shavuot is not based... It's the only holiday that's not based on an independent day in the calendar. It's not like God says in the Torah, the Torah says the 6th day of Sivan is Shavuot. It says the 50th day following Passover. So therefore, it depends on how long, how many days each month has. If the month has 29 days, it'll be 50 days will take this amount of space. If it has 30 days, it'll take less space. In the sense of it'll be the 5th, the 6th, or 7th of Sivan. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because the months vary. Because the months vary, so the total amount of 50 days is going to vary. Okay. So that's how we can have three possible dates. If Nisan and Iyar are both complete months of 30 days, then Shavuot will be on the 5th of Sivan. If they are both incomplete months of 29 days, then Shavuot should be then, then Shavuot would be on the 7th of Sivan. And if one is 29 and one is 30, then it will be on the 6th. In the 4th century, there was a gentleman named Hillel II. Not Hillel Hazake, not Hillel the Elder, not the original Hillel. You know, like they had new Coke in the 80s, remember that? You had to be there. Now, so, they, uh, they, there was a guy, a gentleman, a scholar named Hillel II. Hillel II foresaw that the Sanhedrin is about to be disbanded, and they wouldn't be able to calculate the months based on this whole citing system. So he created the Jewish calendar that we use. He created a calculation. There's actually a cycle of 18 years. Complicated cycle. It's not for now. If you want to look at it, if you want to read up on it, it's in Maimonides, Mishneh Torah, Hilchot Kiddush HaChodesh. It's one of the most complicated stuff you'll ever read with the calculations. But if you want to create your own Jewish calendar, read it and you can create your own calendar. But it's all mathematical and it works out. The point is that at that point in the 4th century, they set up the calendar and they determined how how long each month, 29 days or 30 days, when the holidays are, everything is fixed now. That's why Publix can knock out a calendar because it's fixed. There was no one that came to the manager and said, I saw the moon, this is how it should work. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Was so precise that, that no other culture or society came up with that number 
until NASA did in 1969 when they had a satellite up and ran the calculations through a computer. Yeah, thought about the lunar cycle, how long it takes. Yeah, yeah. Maimonides said it's the 29 and a half. It's not exactly 29 and a half. It's 29 point something. It's very... About 10 digits past the decimal point. Yeah. So that's why it does, it's not exactly, you can't like 130, 129, you can't alternate exactly. In fact, some months are set as 29 or 30. Some months, depending on the year, could be 29 or 30. Again, it's complicated. But the way it works, the way it's set, because Nisan and Iyer are set, Nisan is always 30 days, Iyer is always 29 days, Shavuot is always on the sixth day of Sivan, which is why we're celebrating it Friday. Okay? Now, all of this is how it's possible that Shavuot could be celebrated on the 5th, 6th, or 7th of Sivan. But the bigger question is, why? Not how, but why. Why doesn't it have a set date? Why is it subject to all of these uh, uh, changes, all of these uh, different possibilities? Why isn't it set on the calendar? And so, this contains one of the most powerful lessons about Torah itself. See, if Torah, if Shavuot had a set day on the calendar, it would mean that Torah is fixed in time. The Torah has a specific date. The fact that Shavuot, which is the giving, the celebration of the giving of the Torah, the fact that it doesn't have a date, that itself conveys the message that Torah is timeless. It's above the constraints of time. It's above the limitations of a certain date that you can mark the calendar with. It could be any one of, the, any one of these days. It could be a Sunday, it could be a Tuesday, it could be the 5th, the 6th, the 7th. Torah, the essential, na- the essential nature of Torah is above time, it's timeless. Could you just explain briefly why the Sanhedrin was disbanded? Because of the diaspora, because of uh, there was no central... The Jews were kicked out of Israel. The Romans. Yeah, where, where are you going to keep the Sanhedrin together? In Spain, in North Africa... In Germany, in France, all the community splintered. Before, everyone was together. Everyone was in one region. So you could have a central location. Now, everyone's running for their lives. It's not, not practical. They had to decentralize. Okay, but that's the point, of the, the, the point that we're getting to is that Torah is timeless. The, the deeper message is that Torah is not stuck to a date. Right? Passover is the 15th of Nisan. Sukkot is the 15th of Tishri. Shavuot has no date. It's beyond date. That's the same reason... You like that? That's the same reason why the Torah was given in a desert. Why was the Torah given in a desert? Why wasn't it given in a civilized place? Because it's it's, it's beyond being restricted to a certain place. If it was given in a place... You could say, ah, the Torah is only... If it was given in Tel Aviv, you could say, Torah is only meant for the people in Tel Aviv. But the people in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, in uh, Miami Beach? No way, are you kidding me? Miami Beach? We got the beach. The Torah is for Tel Aviv. We, God wanted to give it to us, He would have come here. He, Torah was given in the desert. No one lives in a desert. Because Torah is... Not, I don't know if you can say ownerless, but Torah is not a product or a gift to one particular locale. It's be Exactly, that's the point. Torah, the messages of Torah are beyond time, thank you, beyond time and space. They're not limited to a certain time. You can't fix it to a certain era, to a certain date. You can't fix it to a certain place. 
Its messages, its teachings are eternally relevant to you today, no matter where you are. You can open up the Torah, you can read the Torah, and it can mean something to you, something profound, deep, and life-changing. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what day of the week it is, what day of the year it is. Which also tells us that when are you ready, when are you able to receive the Torah? You don't have to wait till Shavuot to receive the Torah. It could be any day. Not even only the 5th or 6th or 7th of Sifan. Any day that you are open to receiving the message of the Torah can be your Shavuot. That's the deeper implication of the fact that Torah doesn't have a calendar date. Torah, again, Shavuot, sorry, Shavuot doesn't have a calendar date. Shavuot is the day we got the Torah. It doesn't have a calendar date, which means that you can receive the Torah any day that you choose, as long as you're open to it. As long as you are open to it. Okay? Now, let's take a look at another wrinkle in the story. Torah, again, doesn't have a specific date. Torah is eternally available for us as long as we're willing to receive it. Let's uh, look back at the dispute between um, the rabbis and Rabbi Yossi to discover another layer of insight. Again, the dispute that we had, the Talmudic dispute was whether the original giving of the Torah was on the 6th or the 7th day of the Sivan. Right? We have a, uh, a little bit of, a, of an issue with the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. We're on page 14 now. Rabbi, yeah, um, sure. Yes, tomorrow night, yes. Absolutely. Okay, page 14. We had a debate between, that we quoted before, uh, let's see, what text was it? It was text 2, back on page 11. Uh, when the Ten Commandments were said, originally, was it the sixth day of Sivan, the seventh day of Sivan? There's a problem, though. Because the Torah clearly tells us what happened on every day preceding the giving of the Torah. Tells us what happened on the first day of Sivan, the second, third, fourth, etc. And if you count the days, you only get six days. Rabiosi seems to be a little bit off with his calculation. We read text 7. Okay? Um, text 7. Yonatan, will you read? Hashem said to Moshe, Go to the people and sanctify them to them tomorrow. And they shall wash their garments and they shall be prepared for the third day. This was said to Moses by God on the on day four, the fourth day of Sivan. On the first day of Sivan, they arrived in the desert at the foot of Mount Sinai, and that that's what happened the first day. The second day, uh, Moses tells them that you are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That happened on the second day. On the third day of Sivan, um, Moses tells them to create a boundary around the mountain so that no one gets too close. Day four, God tells Moses, tell the people to sanctify themselves today and tomorrow. What day is that? Day four and day five? And be prepared for the third day. What is that? Day six. Right? He's telling this to them on day four. Prepare yourselves today and tomorrow, four and five, because on the third day from now, on day six, you're going to receive the Torah. It seems pretty clear that one was a Torah given on day six. So how can Rabbi Yossi be of the opinion that the Torah was given on the seventh day of Sivan? 
Where do you get the extra day? Hold on one second. So now, they, they, I must tell you that this, that this uh, commandment, go to the people and tell them to sanctify themselves today and tomorrow, what that actually meant was that husbands and wives should separate. For purity, in preparation for receiving the Torah, that means no, uh, no intimate relations for those th- two or three days. So Moses tells the people on the fourth day, prepare yourselves, separate today, tomorrow, and on the third day, there's going to be the giving of the Torah. Again, it seems fourth, fifth, sixth day is the giving of the Torah. So, what's, so what is Rabbi Yossi's opinion? How could it be on the seventh day of Sivan? So the Talmud records his answer. Daniel, will you read text 8? Moses goes ahead and he adds another day of separation. God tells Moses on the fourth day of Sivan, prepare today, tomorrow, and the next day you're going to get the Torah. Moses adds another day. Based on his own understanding. What does that mean? Day starts at sundown. Day starts at sundown. So therefore, so God bless you. So therefore, that's going to be the answer. Other, but, but the question, before we get to the answer, the question is, why does Moses, how can Moses add a day? It sounds like the Bothusian that said, that, well, yeah, he decided it should be on a Sunday, because Sundays are a good day to, have the, to celebrate Shavuot. It sounds like almost like arbitrary. Moses adds another day, and he gives the Torah, on the, and, and the Torah was given on the seventh day. Why did Moses add another day? The, the Talmud answers, text 10a, Adele. Moshe interpreted Hashem's command, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, that today should be the same as tomorrow, just as tomorrow includes its night, so too today must include its night. In other words, Moses said that if you need to sanctify yourself, purify yourself for two days, and then the following day you receive the Torah, it has to be two full days. But Moses heard the command in the middle of the fourth day. The fourth day begins at the sunset of the previous, uh, you know, the night before. So here God is telling Moses to tell the people to separate. Husbands and spouses should separate from each other. But it's already in the middle of the day. So Moses says what God means is to start tomorrow. Today is only a half a day of separation. It's not a full day. And God says, separate today and tomorrow, which means that today should be like tomorrow. If tomorrow was a full day, then today also should be a full day. So it must mean today doesn't begin today. Today begins tomorrow. And then tomorrow is the today, and then tomorrow is the tomorrow's tomorrow. Do you mean like it starts at sundown? Yes, because the day starts at sundown. But God only commanded Moses during the daytime. So that means the night was missing. There was no separation the night before. So you wouldn't have two days of separation. So Moses says we need to add another day. So therefore, God tells Moses on day four, Moses immediately conveys it to the people, they separate, but then you need a full separation day five, a full separation day six, and day seven they receive the Torah. Friends, what we have here is something phenomenal. When is the Torah given? On God's day or on Moses' day? God says, today, tomorrow, third day, you're going to receive the Torah, which means simply on the sixth day. According to Rabbi opinion, it's Moses interprets God's words, whether or not God specifically said it, and he says, no, no this is what it means. Day seven. You've got to add another day. <coughs> and I asked at the beginning of class, how do we see a contribution 
from us, a partnership from mankind in the process of the giving of the Torah. It seems like God gave us the Torah. When He wanted to, how He wanted to, it was all coming from Him. And we just received it. Based on this piece of the Talmud, we see that, according to one opinion at least, it was Moses who, in a way, determined when God would give the Torah. It was Moses' contribution to Torah scholarship and to interpretation that gave us the date for the giving of the Torah. This is really the, um, the secret to what the giving of the Torah was all about. Because as we know, the Medrash tells us there was Torah study before the giving of the Torah. Take a look, I'll read it. Text 11, page 16 at the top. Throughout the days of our forefathers, they never abandoned yeshivas of Torah study. Our forefathers, that means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Egypt, they had a yeshiva. In the desert, they had a yeshiva. Our forefathers, Abraham, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all sat and studied in yeshiva. Eliezer, the servant of Avram, sat and studied in yeshiva. Rav said, Avram, our forefather, (coughs) kept the entire Torah. As the verse states in Genesis, because Avram listened to my voice and he kept all my regulations, statutes, and laws. We see that Abraham followed all the rules <coughs> before Sinai. So the first question is, well, how did he know the rules if the Torah wasn't given? Because he was attuned to the rules of creation. If you're attuned to the will of God, then you don't need the book. You automatically feel what you need to do and what you can't do. Abraham, Isaac, and they were attuned to this and they, they knew it and they taught it to their children. And they studied in yeshiva. So what happened at Sinai? Why do we celebrate Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, if they already had some form of the Torah before? Why are we making a big deal about uh, Shavuot? And the answer is because the rules of the game fundamentally changed. Whereas before Sinai, there wasn't a partnership. After Sinai, there is a partnership. Before Sinai, you're studying God's will. After Sinai, or at the moment of Sinai, Moses is telling God when to give the Torah. God says, third day, Moses says, we're going to add another day. And God wants us to be partners in creation. Not randomly, not that we just determine on our own when it should be, but based on Torah, Torah uh, interpretation criteria. That, that, that is explicated in the Torah itself. That when you say today and tomorrow in the same sentence, today needs to be like tomorrow. And if tomorrow was a full day, today should be a full day. So the, po- the point is that what the experience of Torah gave us was the tools to be able to go into the world and begin repairing the world, finishing the job that God started. God didn't finish a job for us because then why would we be here? If we lived in a perfect world, what would we do? God created an imperfect world. And the Medrash says that God created a world where there is one side that's open, one direction is open, and it's our job to close it in. It's like a, a gate around the yard, and it's, there's a breach. You could fall out, you could fall down, and end up who knows where. Or you can make sure it's closed in. You can finish the fence. That's our job. That began at Sinai. Before Sinai, we could study Torah. But we weren't actual partners in creation. 
Tikkun Olam, we, we weren't actually partners in repairing the world. After Sinai, at Sinai, we begin repairing the world. This is captured in Moses' contribution in determining the day that the Torah is given. So, as we conclude the lesson... Our job is also to ourselves. Correct. We're also not created perfect. That's right. I would say repairing ourselves... I wouldn't say step one or step two. Not necessarily step one, step two, but definitely. <coughs> we have to work on ourselves. We have to work on our families, on our communities, and the world at large. We repair our world, and automatically our immediate environment, 100%. But it's all about having the tools to do so. You can't build, you can't fix unless you're given the tools. At Sinai, we were given the tool, the tools with which to repair the world. Before Sinai, they studied Torah, but it was a philosophy. It wasn't a practical mission, it wasn't a charge, it wasn't a mandate. It wasn't, here are the tools, fix the world. It was, nice, I'm studying Torah, I'm connecting with divine wisdom, but it wasn't practical. At Sinai, we received a mandate, and that is to make the world a better place, to infuse the world with divine light. Did and that, yeah. Did, they, uh, did the slaves study? In Egypt, yeah, they had yeshivas there. Did the slaves study? The tribe of Levi studied. There was one tribe, the Levites, who weren't uh, part of the, of the slavery. I just want to read text 12. It's beautiful. Actually, Adele, I think we're up to you. Adele, please read text 12. This is a, a beautiful uh, way to end the uh, to end the class, uh, based on a quote of the Baal Shem Tov. Actually, the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Shneir Zalman Liadi. Go. From the holy teachings of the <coughs> Israel, one nation on the earth. The nation of Israel, even in the earthly world, is bound up with the one God. Hashem transforms the spiritual into something material. Israel transforms the material into something spiritual. This is, this is what the author of it says. God created a physical world out of spiritual energy. There was spiritual energy and God took the spirit and created the material. Our job is to reverse the process in a sense. To take the material and lift it up back to the spiritual. God brings it down, we bring it back up. And this is the partnership. God gives us the, mat- the material with which to do good things, and then we need to take that material and do good things. And how do we know what to do? That's why we receive, that's why we receive the Torah. The Torah gives us the mandate, gives us the charge, gives us the inspiration, gives us the wisdom, gives us the guidance with which to actually make a difference in the world. Timeless. Whenever, whenever you're ready to receive it, it's waiting for you. It could be the 6th, it could be the 7th, it could be today. We, 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 you know, we, the ruling is like the rabbis, not like Rabbi Yossi. But Rabbi Yossi teaches us, based on his reasoning, Moses is the one creating. We're using his reasoning, even though he's not accepted. We're using his reasoning to understand that Moses, according to one interpretation, had, a, had a, played a part in determining the day the Torah was given. <coughs> anyway, so that is the message of Shavuot. The Torah is calling. God is calling to you. It says every day there's a voice from Har Chore, from Mount Horeb, from, from Sinai, from Sinai, that says, Are you heeding the call? Are you doing what you need to do? The question is, do we hear the voice? Do we answer the call? And so, my friends, as we get ready for Shavuot, which is tomorrow night, with 24 hours away, 
Let us heed the call. Let us take the charge. Let us receive the Torah with joy and with sincerity, as is the traditional blessing. Kabbalat HaTorah B'Simcha U'B'Pnimiyot May you receive Torah with joy and with an inner sincerity. Amen. That's tonight. Um, questions? I am definitely available for.